Welcome to the Skyrocket Education Podcast. Featuring Michael Sonbert and Antonio Vance. They've coached, trained, and partnered with thousands of teachers and school leaders from over 100 cities and eight countries around the world. They've seen everything, and they're here to share that with you. Get ready for the most honest, no BS, totally unfiltered education podcast around. Buckle up for informal observations. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Informal Observations with Skyrocket Educator Training. A no-holds-barred, raw and unfiltered deep dive into all things K-12 education. I am Michael Sonbert, the founder of Skyrocket, and I'm here with my esteemed colleague and co-host, Dr. Antonio Vance. Hey, how's it going? It's going awesome. So, Antonio, I'm going to start this podcast, our first podcast, like I'm going to start all of our podcasts going forward with three questions for you. They may not always be the same three questions, but here are your three questions to start off. The first one, sir, is how are you tonight? Oh, man, Michael, I'm great. You know, I have the best job in the world getting an opportunity to work with educators across the country um, as we uh, change the world and make uh, learning better for kids all across the country. So I'm great, man. Uh, It's awesome. Well, listen, uh, the second question is a little Uh different. We know that educators like to sometimes decompress after a long week and a stressful week with Mm -hmm. a, a cocktail. And so... Antonio, and by the way, friends listening at home or in the car, we, uh, well, not in the car. We don't want you having a cocktail in the car. But if you're listening at home and you had a long week, we certainly uh, will invite you to join us with a drink. So, Antonio, are you having a, a drink tonight? And if so, what is it? I am. I'm also not in a car. Um, I am drinking the smoothest gin ever um, from uh, Hendrix Gin. Uh, I had my first opportunity few years ago in Stockholm with some uh, educator colleagues and man, you know, add a little cucumber to it. It is the smoothest, uh, most relaxing drink ever, man. Are you you doing a, I'm sorry, are you doing a Hendrix commercial during our first show? Is that what, is that what's happening? I am not doing a Hendrix commercial. However, if they'd like to, uh, you know, sponsor and send a few cases, I would definitely be, uh, be obliged to that. So no, so no, no money, but cases of gin is what is what you're negotiating we'll, we'll for. for hey, on, on educators, we need it. <laughs> okay, listen, I'm not having a drink yet, but I'm thinking about. I have a, a bottle of red wine that's been in my house since before the pandemic, and I'm thinking about. I'm not even a big red wine drink, uh, drinker, but okay, I'm thinking about cracking that. It's been like uh, I've been walking past it. It's it's in my it's in my, my living room, and I keep it's giving it the you. eye. And I was thinking about it because I, somebody got it for us as a gift. And I'm like, I know that that bottle of wine costs like $9. <laughs> and because I buy people $9, $9 bottles of wine. And I'm like, I know. And it's really a ridiculous thing because we go to be like, hey, congratulations on your baby. And then we hand people an 8 or $9 bottle of wine. Michael, do not bring a $9 bottle of wine to my house. Okay. No, <laughs> Never. no, no you, you're, you're fancier than that? Nine dollar wine? No, no, don't do that, please. Don't tell anyone else this either. <laughs> no, not only so. Not only will I tell people about it. I I'm going to leave the price tags on now that you are <laughs> saying that this is is this uncouth to do to, to yes, get people nine dollar wine. Yes, it's very uncouth, and people I, will now know. <laughs> I will bet if we ask a thousand people, 
uh, if they get nine dollar bottles of wine or less, that 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 nine hundred and fifty of them will say that they buy nine dollar bottles of wine or less. And in an anonymous in a, survey. In an anonymous <laughs> survey, which we do in education all the time. Antonio brings me to my third and final question to kick off our show this week, and it is: What is the most interesting or funniest or most inspiring or coolest thing that you've mm-hmm. seen in K-12 education in the last in the last week or so? Oh, in the last week. Oh, man. Following up from Thanksgiving, uh, you know, things picked up pretty quick. Let's see. Uh, you know, um, the other day I was observing um, a teacher and, uh, you know, you, I'm watching the teacher on the camera and, you know, uh, they start making a face and the smoke alarm goes off. And sure enough, they're Younger child uh, was trying to cook in the kitchen, started a small fire, nothing catastrophic, nothing major. Um, And then the teacher uh, went, handled the situation. Uh, The students were fine and came back and and resumed teaching. Didn't miss a beat. Um, You know, just kind of waved her hand around. It's like, I'm fine. We're good. Let's jump back into the lesson. And, you know, hats off to all of our teachers that are, you know, pushing through uh, some of the craziness that's happening. You know, we're juggling our home. And uh, still, you know, get getting getting the job done. So that was very interesting uh, to see. You know that that teacher managed that in that situation. You think or you think that was interesting that somebody's child started a fire in the background <laughs> of the classroom? Well, I'd say <laughs> I'd say that. Well, was, I'm sure it's happened before, but I don't know if you just keep teaching, like you just you know let it go. Uh, and that would have been that would have been. <laughs> I wonder. Imagine if that was a like during a formal observation and the teacher was getting dinged for. Uh, having to step away because there was a fire in the house. Yeah, uh, well, that would be. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah they made it back up. They got right back into it, and learning continued. <laughs> I was in. That's amazing, and I'm glad everybody was safe. I was uh, in a meeting the other day, and my oldest, uh, one of his teeth fell out. Oh, man. and I heard him calling to me, which is cool, right? It's great, uh, tooth fairy and all that. But I heard him calling to me, and I'm trying to ignore him because I'm talking in a meeting and he just comes right up into the room and I'm waving him away before he gets on camera, but he comes, he ignores that and comes right into the shot and is holding his tooth up right to my face. Uh, Luckily the, the, I was not, I was not doing a presentation and the people on the other end thought it was really cute and really funny, but uh, that's, uh, that's part of what, what everyone's working, working with right now, right? These, uh, unforeseen kind of surprises that are challenging educators in in really new ways. And I think it's a great segue into talking a little bit about what this podcast is and, and why this podcast is, and then really talking about our, our, our guest tonight, our, our first guest ever. Oh, yeah. Her name is Atia Harmon. She's the founder of an organization called Black Girls Love Math. And, and before we get to Atia, you know, really, we, we wanted to start this podcast to um, really dive into a lot of things that uh, aren't spoken about that often in in K-12 education. We, you know, Skyrocket's been around for for a few years now, and and I think it's fair to say that our approach to education is uh, pretty unique uh, and and to to teacher and leader development. It's it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty intense. And we often have conversations whether mm-hmm. you know Antonio and I or or members of our team are in, in with one other educator or with with hundreds, mm-hmm. but we're often engaging in conversations that a lot of people in education are uh, are avoiding. Mm-hmm. And so, 
uh, we, we thought like, hey, let, let's let's talk about that. Uh, let's talk about that with guests. Let's talk about that with each other. Let's talk about that with a, a national audience and uh, and, and really um, give give ourselves and, and, and most importantly, give our guests uh, mm-hmm. a, a space to talk about the incredible work that they're doing work that sometimes falls outside of the what we think traditionally or what we think of traditionally is is k-12 education and so for for folks listening you know you can expect us to be uh always honest uh sometimes controversial uh, we might say stuff that's going to piss you off uh we think that that's actually okay um but uh but but really what we're excited to do is is talk to people who are um Trying to trying to change trying to change uh, traditional education norms, even if the change is, by the way, uh, not that radical, right? And mm-hmm. so, folks who know our approach know that we are not looking at every shiny thing on the shelf. In fact, mm-hmm. we're the the personal trainer who's like, you want to lose twenty pounds? Great, you're going to get up an hour earlier every day, and you're going <laughs> to do wind sprints uh, out in the freezing cold, right? We are not looking for the the shiny thing off the uh, off the shelf, and so uh, really excited to, to 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 be on this journey with with Antonio, with you, and, and of course with all the Absolutely. folks listening. And I, I I think, and this is I just I, I just had a really cool idea because our, mm-hmm. our, and we talked about guests, and we've talked about all the folks we're going to have on this show, uh, both both experts in their fields. Mm-hmm. And and folks who are not quite experts yet, but are 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 just total badasses in this space, folks from you know the United States and folks internationally as well. But I'm just thinking, with a new president coming in, there's going to be a new Secretary of Education. Could Vance, are you on board with us making it a goal that we have the the, the new Secretary of Education on our show in? in you know, X amount of months or Y amount of shows. You think that that's a reasonable or maybe unreasonable goal for us to have? Michael, you know, I get very nervous when you start saying things like, I have a new idea. Um, <laughs> so I get my anxiety level goes up. Um, absolutely. I say, let's go for it. Like, let's go for gold. Um, why not? There's tons of stuff to talk about um, and would love to, to hear from that. So hopefully they're listening in and we'll. Uh, have a, a, a secretary of education guest make it so. So let's let's do this. So we're going to say that by our 100th show, that's which is pretty. I mean, that's going to come fast. But by our 100th show, we're going to have the new secretary of education on informal observations. And I want everybody listening right now to remember that because uh, we're going to make it happen. And now here's right. going to be we're going to introduce our guest in a moment. But Atia who's listening in, I'm going to ask you to think, because I, I was going to ask a different question for your first question, but your first question is actually going to come now. Antonio, we're going to talk about it first, then we're going to bring Atia, Atia okay. Harmon in. Antonio, who do you think the next Secretary of Education is going to be? Who do you think that that person is going to be? And by the way, extra points for a non-serious answer. Extra? <laughs> <laughs> well, right now, I mean, ba- oh, I don't want to get too controversial. Let me... Uh, play nice but um oh man there are just so many amazing choices i mean my my choice would be someone who has uh, had experience being a teacher and educator has been in the role um and knows what that's you know what that's actually like um and, and can 
relate to the folks that we work with every single day and, and relate to the work that we do. Um, I mean, obviously right now, uh, we're struggling with that and, you know, Mickey Mouse would be a great candidate. Um, I've learned a lot, uh, from, I'm just joking, of course, but, uh, compared to now, I mean, I think that, you know, I, I'm really excited to get someone that, that really does have a firm understanding of, of, of pedagogy and the work that has to get done. Um, and that is what's going to make the difference for education. Um, and, and, and just how to make changes, systemic racism, and addressing all of the inclusion um, and issues that are happening across our country and making sure that our students and our teachers uh, feel like they're in a safe place to learn and, and to grow. So th those are the things that excite me. There are, are I'm sure, tons of candidates out there. Um, hopefully that, that we select someone that does have that experience. Well, uh, what do you a, have I mean, in mind? What a, thought, thought, what a thoughtful answer. And uh, you're probably right. I have my answer is a little different. Three is it letters. Me? Is no, it me? it's not. Well, it should be you because you're oh. smart enough to do it. <laughs> Three letters, friends. D M X. What? <laughs> what? For folks listening, we tried to get we tried to get a DMX song for the theme oh song God. of this podcast, and it costs like a trillion dollars, so we couldn't do it. So the song you're listening to, the beginning and the end of this podcast, is our second choice. All right, listen. I don't know who the next Secretary DMX of Education is going to be, but um, I, I, I imagine it'll be different than what we have what we have currently. Friends, without further ado. I am so excited to introduce our oh, first yeah. guest, not just our first guest tonight, but our first guest ever in the history of informal observations. She is a former teacher, a former AP, a former principal, a former Ooh. network leader. And now she is currently the founder of an amazing organization called Black Girls Love Math. Yeah. Let's welcome her in, Miss Atia Harmon. Atia, how are you? Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for that intro, Michael. I sound really badass. <laughs> well, yeah, you are. Not... <laughs> Thank you. Listen, it's not what you sound. I've like I've I know you. I've worked with you. You are a badass. So um, oh, that is a that is a true a true statement. So before we get to Black Girls Love Math, you have thoughts, Atia, mm. on who our next Secretary of Education will be? <laughs> I am not really sure, but when I came up with it, I thought about Sal Khan, right? And it's not because he's a teacher, but because Khan Academy, especially during COVID, has been such a valuable resource. I think as we think about looking ahead to this next decade, he could be someone with very good insight on how to best prepare students. Wow. That's wow. That's really smart. And both of you gave serious answers and I didn't. <laughs> and so now I'm, feel, I'm feeling a certain kind of way about what's happening right here. Uh, well, listen, Atia, thanks so much for being on the show. Mm -hmm. Sal Khan's a great choice. Let, let's talk about Black Girls Love Math. Can you tell okay. folks just what, what does your organization do? Why, why just start Black Girls Love Math? And just tell us you know, anything, anything you have about the origin about, uh, of your amazing organization. Sure. So when I think about Black Girls Love Math and when I started it, um, I thought about the girls who actually like to do math, right? Statistically, you hear girls say, oh, I'm not a math person. I don't know how to do math. That's not my thing. But there are girls that, that sit in the back of classrooms who know all the answers, who know what to do, and they're often ignored. And it shows up in data. 4% of 
people that 4% of college degrees for math are black women. That number is way too low for me. And being in school since 2002, I've seen girls be very excited. And then by around seventh or eighth grade, they turn away. And it was very frustrating, very annoying. So we know about the peer group of our teenagers and middle school students. So I thought about what if we created a club, a type of organization where it changes that narrative, where it's like, hey, I'm a black girl and I love math. And let's do math competitions, let's do conversation, let's do community, but let's not just make it lessons, let's make it cool to actually like math and want to exceed and want to succeed in math with people who look like me, who sound like me, that are my peer group. So I sought to create um, across schools of the nation. I'm starting in the Northeast and fully in New York, and I want to expand it nationally where it's organization they have competitions they talk about ap math they talk about sign and cosine and algebraic equations but they also talk about things that are interested in them interesting to them culturally if that would ever black girls like at this time i'm not i'm i'm not always in touch with everything but things that make them feel comfortable um so that they can feel seen because i feel like in classes they don't feel seen so they don't feel like they belong and they tend to stare away from the subject because no one encourages them to go farther in math. So that's um, how Black Girls Love Math came to be. Wow, it's amazing. It's, a, it's, it's an amazing mission. And so, so, so tell us what, I, I love this, I love this idea, right? We're, we're like, you're, you're talking about Black girls being almost, I, I don't know, are they, are they pushed away from math? Or is there a lack of, uh, uh, a lack of uh, acceptance or a lack of, I mean, what a lack of excitement from educators in, in schools as it <laughs> pertains to, 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 to black girls and, and the subject of math. I mean, what are schools missing? Like you're, you're talking about the, the, the end result and the 4% statistic mm -hmm. really, really jumps, really jumps out at us. But what are schools missing? What, what, what needs to be different within sure. K-12 education to, to change this narrative in addition to the work that you're doing? That's a very loaded question, Michael. I'm going to try to come at her from the Black Girls Love Math perspective and incorporate some other opinions. But okay, so how many people do you know, including people on this call that say, I'm not a math person, right? Yeah, it drives me crazy. I yeah, hate you would never say that you can't read. Never. You would be embarrassed, right? But so many people are conscious and say, I'm not a math person. There are teachers in buildings. There are principals that say, I'm not math people. So therefore, these girls that are, who looks like me? There's no representation. There's no one who understands this process like me. And implicit bias may even have the teachers ignore those girls who are. So I don't... Um, that's kind of what I've seen in my experiences in different schools. But also there is um, the way we're taught math. It depends on the district you're in, honestly, but it changes. Um, students are told what to do, how to follow these rules. And for some people, when you do culturally responsive teaching, that doesn't make sense for me to follow this rule. How about if I do it this way and that's shut down in the class? So if you have a different perspective or um, way to solve a problem and it's not honored or acknowledged, I'm going to turn away from the subject. And that's what I've seen because we were taught there's this one way that you solve a math problem. This is the only way you can do it. There's no other option. And if someone challenges that, there can be um, 
they can be shut down. So if, if you're shut down in the class by a teacher, then why would you want to participate and go further? Right. Mm. Wow, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Antonio, you, I mean, you're a former, you're a former chemistry teacher. I mean, did you experience similar things with science when you were teaching? Oh, yeah. I mean, and to, to Atiyah's point, I, I used to say things like, oh, I'm just not that good at math. Um, and so when students said it, I accepted that excuse. And Atia, you're absolutely right. We that that language has to change, um, and that mindset has to change. And of course, like across science, which is full of math, um, if the teacher's standing up there saying, "I'm not that good at math," and when a student gets a question, you know, wrong because you didn't balance the equation j- this way, or you didn't do your stoichiometric um, work this way. Um, you're absolutely right. You, you you shut folks out, and it, it's a bad pedagogy. And I, I appreciate the work that you're doing to change that narrative um, and to push adults and children um, away from that and, and to, to, to really push and create the new, um, you know, Dr. Johnsons of the future. So I, I appreciate that. It's, it's interesting, you know, to you make a really, your point really resonates with me. I've, 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 I've long been, uh, one of my big pet peeves is this idea that somebody would willingly and almost boastfully in front of a room of people, you know, share that they're bad at math as if that's uh, mm-hmm. an okay thing to, mm-hmm. to say, and, or that if just being good at math is like something you, you, you have naturally and that other folks don't, I, I, you know, uh, as a former, you know, a former, you know, a, a former, you know, young athlete when I was a, a kid playing sports and basketball and, and you know, soccer and, and swimming and things like that. I mean, it, it, it reminds me of somebody, you know, somebody saying, oh, I'm great at playing basketball. Oh, yeah. Tell mm-hmm. me about it. Well, I'm, a, I'm great at dribbling, but I can't shoot. Well, then you're not great at basketball. You're not. <laughs> and so this idea that like you can be smart, right? You could be like and like smart, I know, is relative. There's no there's no one way to look at that. But people who I imagine consider themselves intelligent na- will just announce to, to whomever that they're bad at math. I think people think of it like they think of cooking uh, or playing piano. Like it would be great if I could, but I can't. So mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's really this it's this weird phenomenon. And I, I, I mean, why? I mean, you're talking about some of the you're talking about some of the you know reasons why. Uh, girls, particularly black girls, won't, you know, aren't being, you know, aren't embracing the subject or aren't being drawn into the subject because of how kind of like regimented it, it might be or, or even some teacher style or ped- uh, pedagogical styles. But what, 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 why are people willing to, 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 to tell the world that they're bad at math? What is, what is it about that? <laughs> I wish I knew the answer, but I think it's just become such a common acceptance because I think even, okay, so take out like black girls, but think about people who you think in general, who are good at math. And you're like, I, I don't want to be that person. That person's a, a nerd. That person's a dork, right? So it's like, if, if you don't know how to do it, you, you're considered not necessarily cool, but you're not this person who's walking around with a pocket protector or a calculator or something, which is just not the case because we use math so fluently in our everyday lives that I think people just don't see that correlation a lot. But um, it is, you're right, it's sometimes a badge and honor. And it's like, you, everyone likes money. Like you spend money every day. Right. So how don't you like math? <laughs> like everyone's counting something or, oh, this is on sale or something. So that's pretty ridiculous to me. But um, 
I think that just the way that math was taught, especially during my time and before, it was so regimented. So people have time drills and they have like PTSD from those fast fact drills and things like that, that they really freeze and think they can't do it. I've done PD with adults and they have cried because they don't know how to solve a problem. Mm. And it's just like, okay, we don't know how to solve a problem. Where would you start? And just having them engage in that conversation, they felt more open. It's like, it's okay if you get it wrong. No one gets everything right the first chance. And I think math does that to people. And it's like a nation of people that have PTSD from fast max, fast, fast facts and some math drills. Atia, I was thinking, you know, how math is so precise. Um, I'm sorry, let me correct myself, how it, it, it it's perceived as being precise and you know I grew up with you know the same as what you're saying you know I didn't have my multiplication tables memorized you know I struggled with the sevens and the eights and I I took that on as like you know I'm bad at math and I know that other folks around me um as well and and I I appreciate um the way that you're framing and pushing us to to look past um, you know, this, the thing that, you know, most students, and if you're listening to this podcast, you know that you have kids that are just like, I want the right answer. And what's the right answer? And if I don't get it, mm-hmm. um, then I'm wrong. And mm-hmm. how, how do we get people to change that mindset and not be so fascinated um, and so driven towards, I have to get this right answer? Because, you know, in, in reading and writing, it's like, you know, it's different. But in math, we have to do this. I know you train thousands of people across this country in, in, in math and math instruction, how do we get them to let go of that? Well, I think they have to experience it for themselves, right? So you have to just pose a question where it's like, how do you get to the number 35? And if I ask you that, three of us on a call, three of us are, are going to get there the same way. The final answer is 35. So we know we're not incorrect. But to see the beauty in everyone's brain coming to that problem together and thinking about if you have a class mm-hmm. of 20 to 25 kids and how many different pathways can you get to 35 is such an experience that's enriching that's going to wow. deepen your understanding of how to get to 35, but also Johnny, Sarah's and Susie's. So it's, it's creating a more collective understanding to kind of deepen how you get to a correct answer in this wow. um to have people share their strategies and have actual conversation in math and not just saying, okay, right now let's go. This is the next problem. But to like pause and have mathematical discourse, I think is the first step in the right direction. Wow. So simple. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, Johnny, Sarah and Susie are actually going to be on the show next week, which is pretty cool. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're our next guest. We were going to have them on this week, but because they don't have last names, we couldn't contact them. So <laughs> we've, we've, been, we've, we've been able to track them down. I want to switch gears a little bit. You're from Philadelphia, yeah. which is yep. uh, a city that I love deeply and mm-hmm. lived in for, for, you know, over a decade. What, um, has Philadelphia had any sort of uh, influence on on your career path on Black Girls Love Math? And and is there something? I mean, is there is there something about Philadelphia? I mean, I feel, feel like Philadelphia has a real reputation nationally. Is there something that people would be surprised to know about about Philadelphia based on your experiences growing up there? <laughs> 
Yes. Yeah, so you asked me a couple of questions. I'll, I'll try to get to all of them. First, I think for me, for Philly, I went to a private school in Philly, Gerard College. But when I went to college, my friends that were in college prep classes and Philly public schools didn't know how to write essays. And that was really confusing to me. Like, how can you be in a college prep class and you don't know how to write essays? Mm. So I started to see the gap in the inequities in Philly education. So that drove me to education to kind of prepare people in my city and make them um, college ready and beyond or for any post-secondary success. Um, so that shaped Black Girls Love Math. I've worked in Trenton. I've worked in the city of New York and I've worked in Philadelphia and I see glaring, I don't wanna like disband myself from things, but I've seen challenges across the cities, but sometimes I don't know if it's cause Philly's personal and there's my nieces and my family that's there, but I take that city very personally. So when they're not being educated, like I've seen essays from high school students that stuff that as a principal, I would give my sixth graders in the beginning of the year. And I'm like, this is not okay. So. Yeah having that conversation is kind of like part of the charge that's in the background for me to kind of keep pushing it and putting it specifically in Philadelphia schools. Um, Philly, we, we, we do have a chip on our shoulder, but that's because that's because people don't know us. Right. (laughs) And it's like, um, but I do think something interesting I was thinking about when I thought about this question is I think Philadelphians as a, as a whole, we're very, protective of each other and but we also we have this obsession with who can get someplace the fastest not necessarily like speeding in traffic but who can cut the most corners and like take take the shortcut to get like oh no don't take 76 take kelly drive to gerard (laughs) avenue do this i think it's just like such a thing in philly like we always try to find the best route to get someplace to avoid traffic. It's an ongoing conversation every time I get in a car with somebody, either from Philly or not. Is that so. the shortest route to the closest cheesesteak joint? Um, at times, at times. <laughs> <laughs> yes, at times, definitely. And that's a whole battle within itself. But for everyone listening, if you're not from Philly, do not go to Pets or Geno's. Those are not authentic cheesesteaks. Oh my God. So, <laughs> please don't oh, be just, disillusioned. You're blowing up the whole, the whole thing here. I just got, yes. we, we have to unpack a few things here. First off, those of you, the educators listening, which I imagine is most of you, you see what Atia just, I asked Atia two questions at the same time, which was a bullshit move on my part. And then Atia <laughs> called me on it. Did you all hear the way she did that? She said, well, you just asked me a lot of things at once. Let me see. And I was like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. That's, that's the, 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 the former teacher and school leader in Atia holding me accountable for doing something, something, <laughs> something foolish. But um, it really, the, the, I love what you're saying there about uh, you know, being in school and saying like, hey, something here doesn't add up and, and, I, and, and I'm gonna be part of, the, part of the solution to this problem. It's re- really fascinating and really powerful. And I, I will say too, the thing you're talking about, about the shortcuts in Philly, I've experienced that. I, I will also say that I've never seen any other city which is, this is so weird because Philadelphia is a tough town, but man, you all will swerve so hard (laughs) to miss a one centimeter deep pothole. When I first moved to Philadelphia, people in front of me would be swerving. I thought that there was like a body in the road and it's, (laughs) and so I start to panic because I need to swerve out of the way of something. 
And mm-hmm. it's the smallest pothole I've even, in New York, we wouldn't even consider that a pothole. I mean, in New York, we, you know, it's like the Grand Canyon. We drive right through it. We don't think twice. And you, which I don't get because Philly's a tough town, but something about even a slightest pothole. And if you're on, you'll just see everybody, everybody just does it, following each other. Boom, <laughs> boom, 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 yep. boom, boom, boom. Everybody around the thing. It's really, it's really interesting. Michael, I don't know if you've experienced a real Philadelphia pothole, but I have hit a pothole in Philadelphia one time and my car shut off. (laughs) My car literally shut off. It was unable to to take the Philadelphia pothole. So I'm going to really swerve. Yes. And I had a pothole rip my tire in two places. I had to get a new tire. See, Michael? See? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So potholes, I, I think what, I mean, you're all trying to convince me that potholes are a real thing and that they're serious. I'm not arguing that. <laughs> what I am saying is that people in Philadelphia act like a one centimeter deep pothole is going to do the things that you all are discussing. But I am it's on real, board. Man. It's real. Just so for folks listening, we, we all agree that potholes can damage your car. And I think we are. We are Especially solving it. Yes. Tia, you, you told us that you've been watching some some interesting TV. There was one show in particular about uh, the, that 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 Nexium cult that you've been yes. watching. What's been good? Tell us about that. I, I watched a little bit of it. What's the uh, What's the deal with that show? Okay, so th- for the next sixty minutes, Atiyah is going to tell you everything about Nexium. Sixty I, minutes. You don't have sixty no, minutes. No, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I I I became utterly obsessed. Oh my god. So it's the Vow on HBO and it's seduced on Stars. But Nexium started in Albany, but it started off as a self help group right and then it turned into this marketing and then layers and eventually it turned into a sex cult where it was slave and master and people were getting branded with the founders um so initials and you know that guy just got he just got sentenced to like 120 years in prison did you all see that yes i i read every article every day like i said (laughs) this has become my quarantine thing but it was just it's fascinating to see people who were highly intelligent and very unassuming just get kind of looped up and looped in and it 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 was scary for me because i watch a lot of cult documentaries but it um Mm. his makes a lot of sense it was very logical and it was it was easy to see how people got sucked in and it was anywhere from celebrities the the seagram heiresses everybody so it wasn't just like targeting weak and vulnerable people atia do we need to be worried no okay (laughs) <laughs> you use no. the word obsessed so no not obsessed but just highly interested got you <laughs> so i i watched one episode of that and thanks for the recap because i think it's fascinating i when i watched when i watched that and when i watch other shows about cults one thing stands out to me and it's probably not what you all think it's that i think it would be like surprisingly easy to start a cult i think it would be just mm-hmm. like easy because they're just people looking for stuff Mm-hmm. And I'm not to your point, not even necessarily weak or vulnerable, but that there are people looking for relation and connectedness. And I think mm-hmm. that it would be relatively easy. And I don't know what I'm comparing it to. Not as easy as like making an omelet, but pretty easy <laughs> to start a cult. I mean, am I crazy about that? Or is that what is that you're you're the you're the one uh, you're the expert here? Um, <laughs> I don't I don't think it's hard. I think you need to sell something people believe in, right? You, you can sell hope 
and you need to make yourself sound really, really smart, even if you're not, or really enlightened and just use a whole bunch of quotes and one-offs to help people. Um, like some of the questions that this guy was asking on the, on the vow weren't like out of the box, but they were so impactful. It's like, oh, okay, he wants me to be better. And if I do this, I'll be better. So it's like that belief that everyone wants to be a better person and there's something they should hope for. And if you join this group, it'll get you to where you want to be. So I think that's what you can do. All right. Well, uh, you know that we're big supporters of, of Black Girls Love Math, but if you send us any like, mailers <laughs> inviting us to a retreat to change our lives... Antonio, yeah. I think we should. I think we should probably decline that one. I, I think we need a disclaimer that Skyrocket does not support um, the formation of cults. Even yes. though right. it just Please. gave you the directions to start <laughs> one, um, we do not uh, fully support. And I will. Cults. I will add that Black Girls Love Math is not a cult, nor does it intend to become a cult. <laughs> it's just Please. its founder just seems to like cult documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Well, look, I mean, I am, people are usually surprised to learn this, despite being pretty covered in tattoos and growing up on heavy metal and singing in heavy metal bands for years, that I am a pop music junkie. And in fact, uh, my sister and I, years ago, Justin Timberlake, when he went solo from NSYNC, <laughs> was playing at Nassau Coliseum on Long Island, mm -hmm. and uh, with Pink opening up. And uh, my sister and I went together and when I told my friends or when I told people like, well, why, oh, why would you bring your sister there? You just like had to kind of like chaperone her. I'm like, no, she's a grown up. I'm like, we, I wanted to go. I love Justin Timberlake. I love Pink. Yes. And so to your point, I can love pop music and Skyrocket doesn't have to necessarily support pop music. Just yes. Like, just like with the, with the, with the Nexium cult. <laughs> So there's a, a couple more questions before, and this is this is great stuff. I mean, we're I think part of what's cool about this is we're getting really serious and really deep about 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 your your organization, and we're also having some some fun here as well. But I'd love to shift us back to education here. And you were principal for a while, and so can you talk to us about you know the, beyond the students because that's I know that that's a given. But what what about being because right now you're not. You're not in a school, right? I mean, you are. Mm -hmm. you're, you're you're a consultant. You run trainings and uh, you design programming. And so, what 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 if anything do you miss about being a being a school leader and being a principal? Sure, um, I think being a school leader, the school is your family, right? Everybody from your teachers to your maintenance guys to your food service, like that is your family for five out of seven days, usually six out of seven days. And it's just such a community and connection if you foster that type of relationship within the school. So I miss the good mornings from everybody, the good evenings and the families. We had a lot of family um, so engagement at our school. So I miss the families coming up and hugging me and wanting to take pictures. I felt like the president sometimes, right? Like, hi, I'm just the school principal, but it's definitely that community piece. And then feeling like, of course the kids, and we don't even need to go there about how much we all love kids, but just thinking, teachers who may have had a bad day and you're just like hey how's it going how can I support you and getting somebody a bottle of water or or a tea just that connection especially during quarantine and distance learning I miss that genuine um honest feedback and connection with my school family that's awesome that's awesome Antonio I'm not sure if we've ever talked about this I'm not sure if you have an answer but as you're and I've never really 
I've thought, I guess I've thought about it, but Tia, to your point, I mean, it's always the kids, right? And the, and the people and the relationships of families, but I'm thinking about it now. And if I had to go with an answer, that's not that there's something mm -hmm. about that, you know, putting that last grade in your computer at, <laughs> at you know, and, and, and writing the next day's date and objective mm -hmm. up on your board <laughs> and walking, you know, hitting the lights, your room looks, Mm -hmm. I mean, your room never looks like that except for that, like right when you're leaving for the day and that just like, mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, like, in a, like we, we didn't know, we didn't always win today. In fact, we probably lost more than we won, but yep. I'm walking out of here and there's a ribbon on everything. And I feel like, you know, we, 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 you know, we accomplished some stuff and, 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 you know, kids learned and, and, uh, and there's something really special about just that. That that you know my work now just it doesn't finish in that same way. There's right. not that same sense of, of closure or, or accomplishment at the end of the mm -hmm. day, and I think I'm I think I missed that a little bit. Antonio, what what about you? Anything you you can think of? Oh yeah, I mean I miss uh, I miss the buzz of, of of just the school, the energy, and it, it goes back to what Atia mentioned. It's the that community and those moments of. You know, when you're a teacher and you're standing out in front of your door and you look at the teacher across the hall and you both just sigh and be like, OK, send in the next group and let's go. Or when you're standing at the copier um, and you're talking about, you know, what happened this weekend or what's going to happen. And just those connections and interactions that that, that make up a school community um, and the and knowing that everyone there um, is, is driving towards one goal um, and towards one mission. And uh, you're absolutely right, Atia. That that community is, is, is unlike no other, and um, sorely, d definitely missing it. Um, being in schools, especially now, mm -hmm. and uh, can't wait till schools open back up and, and they come back to life and start buzzing. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Re really, uh, yes. There's there's an energy. There's a buzz in in education that. Uh, that it's probably it's probably like nothing else anywhere. I mean, we've all had other jobs and other, in other in other uh, in other lives, really, in other in other fields, and there's nothing that feels like uh like the kind of the the nonstop action of a well, I'm I'm sure being a rock star uh, <laughs> may can may be on the same level as an educator. I don't know. I, Listen, you, you tell I, me. I, I may have rocked, but I was never a star. Uh, <laughs> I have. Uh, you can count our fans on one hand, uh, but uh, but we did we did we did have fun along the way. Hey, this is going to be Natia. Thanks so much for for being here. This is going to be our, uh, our last our last question of the night. Uh, I'm just if you could uh, if you could snap your fingers and change one thing, just one about urban education in America. What would you what would you change? Mm. Mm. <laughs> that's a, good that's a great question and i thought about it i know this is one of my front-loaded questions and i'm like huh uh what would i change about urban education there is oh my gosh this is such a hard question but i would say there is this misconception that following directions means that students are learning hmm. and I would challenge, push, ignite every educator to think like, do you want people to comply or do you want people to challenge and think independently and grapple with concepts and ideology differently? So like encouraging, I feel like urban ed 
as a whole encourages you learn this thing then you spit it back out and that's it but as opposed to challenging and grappling with higher higher order questions and such like that so don't don't create robots create people that question nice Interesting. Nice, nice, and perfect, uh, perfect way to, to to really end this this segment. I'm going to do something that I, uh, I'm going to I'm going to go back on what I said. This that wasn't your last question. Here's last. <laughs> okay. Because when when Antonio brought up Pat's and Gino's before, you you, you had a, a a reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did not. Uh-oh. You you told us don't go to Pat's and Gino's. Where should right. people get a cheesesteak in Philadelphia? And Antonio, I know you're a, a, a you lived in Philly for a while as well. Where, what do you think? And then we'll, we'll, we'll break after this. So there are like four places to go, and this is in no particular order. But <laughs> They have is... to be in order. They yeah. have no. to be in order. No, no, I'm not going to do that. Because <laughs> I eat at all these places. So D'Alessandro's and Chubby's right there yeah. in Roxbury. Right, they right. are amazing. Either or, depending on where, where you feel like standing in line. And you can get like a black cherry soda and things like mm. that. Like, that's amazing. Max's, of course, as featured in Creed, is a it's a oh, classic in North Philadelphia. That's right. And I would say Jim's on South Street is really good. You so. know that Jim's on South Street. You probably you probably know this. So two things. One, one of my former students was in the movie Creed. Do you, I don't know if you. Um, he shows up on the motorbike. The kid who shows up on the motorbike, and while oh. Creed is working out, and oh, Creed wow. says something to him, and he's like, "That's he's like, that's what's up." He says to Creed, "That's one of my former former students." Wow. And um, oh wow. Yeah, which was pretty cool. But then there's, I don't know if you know, Jim's on South Street. The um, Lorenzo's Pizza Place used to be across the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Down. So for those, for those of you who don't know, Lorenzo's had the biggest slices of pizza that you've ever seen in your Crazy. entire life. Yeah, so after what a Saturday would, night. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. But what people would do is they would get a, a slice of pizza from Lorenzo's, walk across the street, get a cheesesteak from Jim's, wrap the cheesesteak up in the pizza Ugh. and then call it a Philly taco and just eat it like uh, like it was a regular cheesesteak with the with the pizza slice of pizza as the outside bun on the uh, on the cheesesteak. Michael, so, who, who are these people? Who, right. Who are these are your I? friends? Who, who are these people? <laughs> one of them. One of them is my friend, but I knew about it before. But one of them is my friend. So uh, he uh, he's also he's gotten into many competitive eating situations, not competitions that you could get paid for, <laughs> just competitions where we'd say, we bet you can't eat that. <laughs> and he would order it, and if he finished it, we'd pay for it. Um, well, I think we paid for it anyway. Anyway, Atia, <laughs> thank you so much. Oh, Black yes. girls sure. love math. Where can thank folks you. Where can folks find you? Uh, what's the What can we, if we want to um, support support you all? What can we How can we do that? Absolutely. Sure, BlackGirlsLoveMath.org. Um, we have some merch for sale. All proceeds go to programming. We have social media: Facebook, Instagram, Black Girls Love Math, and Twitter: Black Math Girl. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for being here, friends. Thank you, Antonio. How's that? How's the Hendrix gin going? Have the deliveries showed up yet? (laughs) I'm I'm eagerly waiting. I keep looking at the door, hoping uh, to hear from them. Otherwise, I'm just going to go for a refill. (laughs) I think it works like that. You mention it on a podcast that's not live. And somebody comes to your house within 45 minutes. Really? I think that that's the way it works. Yeah, I mean, it makes total sense. Say it three times. (laughs) Uh, Well, listen, friends, thanks for joining us on Informal uh, Observations. Awesome. Uh, We are excited to get this journey started. Mm 
we think uh, we did okay on this first one, but we're excited to keep uh, keep working on this and, and, and uh, continuing to do better. So until next time, I'm Michael here with Antonio from everybody at Skyrocket. Have an amazing rest of your night. Have Thank an amazing you. weekend. And keep on rocking. Black girls love math. Woo. Yes, yes. Woo! You just listened to Informal Observations with Skyrocket Educator Training. Sign up for our mailing list at wewillskyrocket.com and tune in to our next episode.